and welcome to the Mindset and Self Mastery Show. I'm your host, Nick McGowan, and on this show, my guests and I unpack the stories that shape us and the lives that we lead on our path to self-mastery. Today on the show, we have Chad Osinga. Chad is a retired army sniper, how cool is that? And a combat applications instructor. He's faced immense challenges from war to special needs children and two motorcycle accidents. Despite all of this, Chad has found an incredible way to overcome through forming a superior mindset. Perfect for the show, right? So we get into his background, the wild story that has led him to where he is today. Let's not wait any longer. Let the games begin. Hey, Chad, welcome to the show, man. How are you doing? I am awesome. How are you? I'm doing great. I appreciate that you reached out and that you wanted to hop on. I was looking through some of your background, and my God, man, it looks like you've been through, um, I'm just going to put it nicely, you've been through some shit. So the fact that you want to hop on and kind of talk through some of this, I really appreciate you being on. Um, and Chad, why don't you start off by telling us what you do for a living and one thing that most people don't know about you. So I now, I'm, I'm basically a motivational speaker. I also help mentor and I write. And one thing that most people don't know is that I drink about a gallon to a gallon and a half of water a day. Nice. Um, you could have gone several different directions. You could have been like a vodka yeah. or tequila a day. <laughs> I'm sure that was a different life. It was, and I was close to that uh, at one point in my life. So, yeah. Yeah. So what's the deal with the water? Are you just trying to make sure that you do it? Is it part of a challenge? What is it? Uh, you know, it started uh, many years ago. I started training, uh, doing jujitsu and fighting a lot. And so without me even knowing it, I started intaking just water. And I'm one of those people that I don't have to eat a whole bunch throughout the day, but I've always had to hydrate with something. So I was drinking water. And next thing you know, that's really I drink water and coffee all day. And that's it. And I'm sure your colon appreciates that. <laughs> it does. It, lo it loves me very much. Yes. <laughs> I bet, man. Um, so what, uh, you said that you're a motivational speaker now. And knowing what I know of your background, the little bit that I know so far, why don't you give us a little bit of context? Like what, what basically happened and led you to this point now? It starts when I was first born, right? Um, my entire left side wouldn't, wouldn't work. And so my mother was a, a big drug addict prior to my birth. And when I was born, I don't know if it was due to the drugs or what, but my left, the left side of my body wasn't functioning. And so the doctor basically said, hey, you know, work, work with this kid or he's, he's not moving it ever again. So she took a hiatus from all the drugs, uh, helped me, you know, get my movement back, but then went right back into it. So from like the time I've, I was born, it seemed like I was in a constant fight. Um, as I got a little bit older, I started realizing that my mom was really getting worse when it came to, you know, alcohol and, and dr her drugs turned much harder. Right. Uh, she began to smoke crack cocaine. All of the money was going to that. And then she actually invited these drug dealers basically into my house. So they lived there. They sold drugs out of there. They had their ladies come there. Um, it was really their home, right? I was just visiting. Jeez. And 
you know, I would sell drugs for them. And I really thought growing up that my surroundings was all I could have. Like that was like being the top drug dealer was like the pinnacle or, 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 you know, the, the top spot in life. Um, Hmm. And so for many years, that's what I thought. But being 12 years old, you're not like the greatest drug dealer. And, you know, the, the older guys always took all the stuff anyway, right? All the money and uh, left me with, with, you know, not really much shit to, to deal out as far as uh, being able to get food and, and things like that. Um, when I was about 14, the police actually raided my house. Um, and my mom went to prison. I was sent all the way to Oklahoma with a family I really didn't know. And, you know, that that was a hard time of my life as well, because when I got to Oklahoma, I was anemic uh, due to the fact that I wasn't eating correctly. My mom, you know, again, she was strung out. There was no, yeah. you know, dinners being made. And uh, I was too young to really get a, a, a solid job. So. You know, the little bit I made off of drug dealing is what I had to go to McDonald's and, you know, uh, do the little bit I could do uh, as far as getting food and, and uh, some type of substance. But mm. when I got there, uh, my aunt and uncle were very religious. They worked at a church. They believed that I was a very evil child, I think. Mm-hmm. and so when I got there, um, they, they, they treated me as if I was like two years old. Uh, they would put me in the corner like, and stand me there and make me eat my dinner there, do my studies there, and then go to bed. Right? And I remember because the corner was like at the front door and the living room was right behind me. And my uncle, he's a bigger guy. He worked at like the oil fields. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, he was not the guy I was trying to get in a fight with, you know, being a, <laughs> sure, a scrawny yeah. uh, 14 year old. So uh, I listened, you know, and I, I, but I was miserable and, you know, their, their quote unquote spankings to me were a little uh, excessive. Uh, I would sometimes bleed and I would be uh, like black and blue uh, from, from that. There was times where like he threw me down the hallway um, all over very minor minor things in my opinion, you know? And so I ended up running away from there. Uh, the first time I got caught, (laughs) um, I was like, I got caught because I, I, I was in a, I stopped at this, um, little Exxon and they had these donuts and I was so hungry, man. And I was like, Oh man, I was like looking at them. Like they were like just T-bone steaks (laughs) and they have a curfew in the Tulsa Oklahoma area. And I didn't know that, but the cashier, I guess, did called the police. Police came. Here comes my my uncle and um, the police. And so they brought me back to their home. And of course, they were very unhappy with that. Um, and it wasn't maybe two weeks later. I I finally my like while I was there, they wouldn't allow me to talk to my mother while she was incarcerated, and they wouldn't allow me to talk to um, like my grandmother um, or anybody I really knew from Virginia, where I was from. And the few times in that year and a half that I I lived there, the few times that 
they would allow me to, you know, talk to them or read the mail. Uh, they always opened it. They always monitored the the phone calls. And my grandmother said, hey, it's okay to come home. And I have no idea why she said that. But when she did, that's that's what sparked that. I'm I'm out of here. Right. So two weeks after that first, you know, uh, attempt, I, um, I I got to a friend that was in, in one of my classes and I was like, hey, man, take me to the edge of this town. Right. I didn't even know where I was really going. So he takes me and there's like this dusty uh, payphone gas station that like no one ever uses. <laughs> and um, I think maybe two people uh, stopped there the entire time I was there. I was probably there like four hours, five hours. Wow. The second guy that stopped there actually gave me a ride to the to halfway to the airport. Right. And paid the rest of the way for me uh, to get a taxi and go. And he he had talked to my grandmother on the on the on the little pay phone because I had about three quarters, you know, worth of, of phone calls back then. So um, but it all worked out and um, I got home and then I was arrested uh, for breaking probation. So that next day. The, the sheriffs came to my grandmother's house. They arrested me and sent me to detention home. Um, they gave custody to my aunt, one of my other aunts who lived in uh, Virginia. And, you know, that, but the damage had really been, been done at that point. I, I was kind of a wreck. Um, I didn't care much about life. I didn't think that uh, I was going to have anything good in this life right and i was i was my anger began driving my life right like i was under the influence of 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 anger uh there there's no other way to really say that you know yeah and i i just didn't i didn't i didn't know if i wanted to really live you know mm. And my grandmother, she she tried to get me into church and tried to get me into those things. But that became an issue in and of itself because um, it, it just seemed to. I seemed to to get used right more than than uh, help in, in those situations. And so I, that turned me a little more bitter. Um and I met this girl, and we're still married to this day, but she changed my world, man. And she is the one that got me to stop selling drugs. She's the one that, you know, believed in me and said, hey, you can, you gotta, you gotta do a little more, right, if you want to stay with me. So hmm. let's, let's get this thing right. And so I joined the Army in like a last-ditch effort to be something, you know, to... Sure. to you know, just try to have something more than what I had up to this point. And I was a late bloomer. I didn't join into my early 20s, uh, wow. which, you know, most people are joining, eight, you know, 17, yeah. 18 years old, uh, right out of high school. But I joined, and at first it was a rough road because I was a, a street kid that, that didn't have a lot of guidance and direction. And then you go into a completely different setting, right? Like it's night and day compared to, 
the life I had lived up to this point. And at first, you know, like I said, it, it was I, I was running into some issues, uh, but as I continued, it made sense to me, right? And they taught me a lot about myself. They taught me that there was a lot more in the tank than what I thought. You know, kind of like hitting empty. There's still probably thirty miles mm-hmm. uh, left of gas in, in, in the tank. So they they showed me that that I was much more than what I thought. I could achieve a lot more than what I really. Uh, had given myself credit for up and up until this point. Uh, while I was in the military, though, um, I ended up joining, you know, uh, I would say an elite version of that. And I became a sniper. Uh, I was able I was allowed to go to a special operations sniper school. And, you know, that and then, you know, and the thing was, is like, I was still a wreck though. Like, even though I was, I was beginning to, uh, achieve some really high level stuff. I was, I was still fighting a lot with internally. Um, I began to, uh, instruct soldiers, which ended up becoming something that, uh, was offered to the FBI. DEA, U.S. Marshals. So I trained SWAT teams and all kinds of, of different entities like that. And that was, it was a real cool experience. Uh, but I had, acu- by this time, I had accumulated a lot of injuries through deployment and uh, just trainings. I, I mean, your body gets really beat up when you live uh, that type of life. And so the, the army was like, hey, you know, uh, it's about time. I was about 10 years in into my career and they were like, hey, um, you're really beat up. You've had multiple surgeries. It's, it's time for you to, to take an exit. And I, I didn't want to go, but, you know, there's not much you can do in those moments. Hmm. As I did. And when I exited, I didn't know. I thought I, I had been dealing with some demons, but they say an idle mind is the devil's playground. And I really believed that once I got out, once I got out, I was banged up. I was mad that I was out of the army and I couldn't stay in the army. It was the one thing in my life that I had found success in. Right. And so now that was being stripped from me. And so I, I, I got really depressed. I started drinking like a fifth of, of whiskey a, a night, uh, smoking like an ounce of weed a, a week. I was spending an outrageous amount of money just on, on marijuana, you know? And, um, so I was lost, you know, I, I, I didn't know which way I was going to go. And so I, I, I was, I was, I was definitely struggling, man. I I was a wreck. I was losing my marriage, uh, you know, and, and she's my best friend, right? Like she, she is, uh, my world, but I was, I was fucking up, right? I, I I wasn't treating her well. I wasn't present with my kids, you know. And and so, and let me actually take a step back. While I was in the military, my my daughter, I have four kids all together. Um, my my second oldest, which is my daughter, had a stroke when she was five. I was stationed in Germany, and um, she um uh, had this really severe stroke that you know we didn't know what was going on i was actually ramping up to go to afghanistan 
And um, so when we get to the hospital, they misdiagnose her and they think that she's just having seizures. Well, there's language barriers. There's a lot of different things going on that are, are at play, I guess, if you will. And so uh, finally, a neurologist walks in that next day and is like, hey, have you guys given her an MRI? And they're like, no. No shit, right? Like, that's <laughs> probably a smart thing to do. Mm-hmm. Well, her brain was uh, basically swollen, like super swollen. And she was going to die in the next few hours if she didn't have emergency surgery. So they had to send her to Hamburg, Germany, and they have a specialty hospital there. They did a craniotomy where they basically cut out half the skull, released the pressure, and she lived. But they told us that she would never, you know, walk again. She would never talk on her own and she would never eat. And, you know, as a dad, that's that's a hard pill to swallow, man. Like that, that is uh, a rough one. You know, uh, I remember me and my wife like crying and they gave us like a little room in the uh ronald mcdonald uh uh i don't know what they're called the little ronald mcdonald houses that are attached to the hospital they gave us a room there and um you know it was i remember sitting there and and crying and screaming you know for for some type of help because i just didn't know what to do you know yeah as a, as a father, you you always want to do something, right? Like, fix it, but you can't. There's nothing I was going to be able to do. This was completely out of out of my realm of 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 anything. I couldn't I couldn't touch it. I could, all I could do was sit there and watch, you know. And and it was it was rough, man. So at this time, my my wife is also pregnant with our third child. So she gives birth while she, while my daughter's in ICU. So she's she all of a sudden pops, and I'm like, oh my god! So I have a kid that's being born in one room, right? And I have my daughter who's fighting for her life in another, with my oldest son who's sitting there having to be a champ, you know, through all of this. I mean, if anybody's a rock star as far as my kids, my oldest son has gone through a lot, and. So she she has the baby and they're like, hey, we've only seen this like about three times in our lives. We need to send you to America. Like, okay. They would not allow my wife and my newborn to fly because he was just born. So didn't have a passport, didn't have uh, dual citizenship. And so we she had to get all those things in order to to make the flight. So my oldest son, my daughter, and myself get put onto a medevac flight with wounded warriors from like Afghanistan and Iraq, and they sent us to Walter Reed. And this is the old Walter Reed in Washington, D.C. And once we get there, uh, we're there for probably the next couple months. My son had to go live with family, and, you know, it was me and my daughter in a hospital room for like two months. You know, it it would. I made a a pact with her that she would walk again, and so every day they would they would bring these stuffed animals, 
And she was getting, she was angry, you know, she, she had started to somewhat talk again. And, you know, so, I, but I wanted to put in her mind's eye that, Hey, you're going to walk, you know, I don't care what these doctors are saying. I don't care what, you know, uh, has happened to another patient. This is you, this is your situation. Let's go. And we would stand, I would stand her up and she would throw stuffed animals against the wall and just trying to get strength in her legs. Mm-hmm. I would move her and try to just get her to envision what walking looked like. Right. And so we would, we would walk down the halls and, you know, of course with me helping her. But by the time we left two months down the road, she actually walked on her own with a, you know, with me kind of just making sure she wouldn't fall, but she walked, she was talking and she was, you know, eating on her own within the, the, that two month timeframe. And so I really, when you talk about inspiration, she is my inspiration. She is my, if she can do all of that, then I don't have an excuse anywhere else in my life. <laughs> uh, fast forward back to where we were. Uh, my wife, well, now we've had two more kids. We've had the one that um, was birthed while my daughter was in ICU. And then we've had about a year after that, we had another one. And both of them now get diagnosed with autism. And they're both on two different spectrums, uh, you know, uh, or two different ends of the spectrum, should I say? I'm sorry. One it will scream and cry and go crazy, and the other one isn't talking, right, at all. And we have my daughter who's in therapies constantly so it, it was just it, it was a wild wild experience trying to to figure that out and i hit uh, a level of depression once i exited the military even though i you know my kids were starting to to learn how to to overcome some of the disabilities that they had had by that point and you know i just crumbled mentally i started like i said drinking started smoking a ton, started just, you know, not just being like a recluse, you know, Uh, I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to be around anybody. So I take up riding motorcycle and I got out of the military in 2015. This happened in 2018, the first one. Uh, I was making a left turn on my motorcycle. Some 19 year old kid playing fucking Pokemon Go blows through the, the red light and blows through me, puts me on a guardrail and destroys the bike. Uh, you know, I, they, everybody thought I was going to die. Somehow I didn't, right? Somehow I, I lived through that and everything was going to be everything, right? I was going to be okay. But I was super scared now of intersections, of... You know, I, I had my own, I already had uh, my own PTSD from my past, the military, and now I get hit by a car, right? So my mind was, was, was a wreck. And I, so I continued to drink, continued to smoke, uh, because I thought I needed those things to, to numb my, my mental state, right? Um, and it took me about a year and a year and a half or a year and a half, maybe, maybe about a year to build the courage to get back onto a motorcycle again, but I refused to allow the fear to beat. I had a good friend rebuild my old motorcycle, and I said, all right, I'm, I'm going to get on it, and I'm going to try. 
So I think that I'm doing all the right things. I get on to this motorcycle. I'm riding. I have a group with me. And in 2018, about just shy of two years after this last accident, a car, we're riding. I'm actually on my way home. And I'm in the far left lane of, of I-95. And this van in the middle lane doesn't see me because their lane was slowing down. He wanted to jump into, into the fast left lane. And when he did, he ran into me at 65 miles an hour. Uh, he hit me so hard that my motorcycle never, like, the jer- like it hit the jersey barrier, but it never fell back down. It was, like, into the jersey barrier. And what they told me was uh, he continued to drive a little bit with the bikes on the, the vehicle. Like, like, he still didn't realize fully that he had whacked me. Uh, they were expanding I-95 at the time. And so I got, my body got sent into a construction zone. I died on the way to the hospital. And then after my first surgery, they realized that the damages were so bad that they needed to, to go in and do a second surgery. Uh, right before that, the medications or something mixed wrong. And uh, I don't know if you ever had surgeries, but they... They put you on the gurney and like you're right across from wherever you're going to get surgery at. Right. Uh, it's like a little pre-op area and they check your vitals. Well, next thing you know, I'm slurring my words. They thought I was having a stroke. Uh, they didn't know what was going on. Next thing you know, I flatlined again. They have to rush me. Uh, and I stayed in ICU for about seven days uh, after that. Uh, so. <laughs> And the story gets even even funner because while I'm in ICU, this COVID, so no one can see me, right? I still haven't seen my family since I, I got whacked. Uh, I don't have a cell phone to com- really communicate. I have the little messed up phone that's on the side of the bed, and I have reruns. That's it. So I had that for seven long days and that was, and I can't move. I can't get up out of my bed. I can't, you know, I can't do anything. Right. Um, it really, it really put, you know, what's crazy is I think what was meant to be a very negative piece in my life actually turned very positive for me. Uh, that those seven days, like I've, I've been telling a lot of people, uh, opened my eyes because I had to face me, right? Like I, mm-hmm. there was nothing that was gonna, I don't know, you know, ICU will do it to you. Um, you're just having to, to visit a lot of different things throughout my life. And there was no turning away from it. There was no numbing it. There was, there was nothing. It was just facing it and dealing with it and moving on. So I think when I did that, I realized that I had a purpose. Right. That, that was so much bigger than just myself or just my family. Uh, God, the universe, whatever we want to call it, him, her, whatever is very real and and. Definitely had had a, a plan, right, because most people don't survive one motorcycle accident, much less two. Um, and so, yeah. And so. You know. I left the hospital and I still had a long ways to go. You know what I mean? Uh, with my, my mental state. 
um, I, you know, when I got back to that, to my house, you know, I, I was, I was bedridden, you know, I, I, I had to relearn how to walk. I had to, you know, I had to, and I still had more surgeries. Like it, that was the other thing. Like I still had more surgeries to get, uh, you probably can't see it, but my hand, there's like a zipper scar mm-hmm. all the way up right here. And that was a, a mess, you know, cause in my, only my pinky and this finger work. Um, and I had to somehow work my way through all of that. Right. And it was definitely a journey. It was, I, I began to, to read a lot. I began to, to really pursue like mindset stuff. Right. And, and devoting, devoting myself to being a better me somehow, some way I quit drinking, I quit smoking. Um, you know, and it didn't happen right, right away. Uh, but it, it definitely, you know, this last wreck, um, it changed me for the, for the best, I think. Right. Because, um, I think because of that, the purpose part of it, right. Like I, I knew without a shadow of a doubt, I was here for a reason. Right. And, and, um, I just had to figure out how to, to get out of my current situation. Right. Cause I just, there was a many points where I didn't know if I was going to walk again. So, you know, I didn't know what, what my tomorrow was necessarily going to look like, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Um, I started to really dig into the writing and started digging into putting myself in uh, a different surroundings as far as, as people, right. Uh, entrepreneurs and people that thought, differently than than the average bear um and as i began to do that i began to really excel you know just in every area of my life my marriage uh you know it it began to flourish again and my kids began to like me again so you know everything started coming full circle for me you know uh and i i was I was very grateful, not not to get hit, but I'm I'm thankful that I was able to refine myself, right? My purpose in life and and know that that you know what it is, I think that this world they we have this belief system, right? That we develop. And you know, there's a lot of different people that talk about this, how we associate uh situations to us, right? Uh, just like we associate green with go and red with stop, we associate uh, specific things to us. Uh, and a lot of that is just really, really false. Like my thinking that all I could be, sorry, my dog. No worries. Um, my, my association, um, with my past, I thought was all I could have, yeah. all I, I could be. Right. Um, and you know, it took, it took me to be around certain mindsets for me to really break free and know that, man, there's more, I I'm capable of more. I, I you know, I, this is, this is, it was just a moment and there's a lot of 
good information to extract from the bad things in our life. And that's what I think that, you know, Kobe said that losing is exciting to him, right? Because he can find, you know, those weaknesses, those chinks in his armor, those, the, the, and now he can begin to work on those things and become that much stronger of a player or a person, right? And so once I began to realize um, that all that bad stuff, all the, those hardships, there were a lot of positives to, to take away from that, a lot, of, a lot of things that I could apply to, to my armor, fill in some holes and, mm-hmm. and move forward and really be able to help other people that were in similar or worse situations than, than I was. And that's what I've been trying to do, uh, whether it be speaking or writing or, you know, uh, mentoring people. Just, I, you know, a lot of this, stuff, like I, I love working with kids as well. So, you know, anything I can do with, with the youth, I, I, I'll do that. And, you know, um, it, it's definitely, uh, it's been a blessing, to, to say the least. Sure. Man, what a story. Just to be able to think through all of that stuff when you're sitting there in bed for seven days and you cannot move, you can't do a fucking thing besides just think. For you to have that transitional period that literally moved you from a fixed to a growth mindset to start to say, okay, well, things have to change. It's wild how I think that things have to happen to us or happen for us in a way to go, oh, okay, got it. I think of those as little God nods where God's up there like, hey, here's a curveball. And you're like, oh, shit, that almost took my head off. Yeah, do you got the point? You're like, okay, I think I get the point. Man, you've gone through so much from a child on up, even through your own kids, where I'm sure you could pick out different people in life where you're like, yeah, you would have jumped off the train. You would have jumped off the train. Most people would have. So in that space of the seven days when you're lying there and you're thinking, I've got a lot of work ahead of me, I got a lot of stuff, but there's positives that are happening. How did you manage your mindset in that space and not go fucking bonkers? (laughs) I think a few times I did. Um, Sure. Maybe you need to, you know? (laughs) You know, um, I just, I I think that I I leveraged the fact that that I was alive. Um, I leveraged the fact that if for whatever reason, if there was nothing more to this, this life that I was living, why would I still be here? Right. After mm-hmm. all the things that I've been through, I mean, I, you know, I skimmed through my life a little bit. Um, there's a lot of stories I could sure. tell you. And a lot of things that were, were, I probably shouldn't be here. Right. I, I, I not probably, I know I shouldn't uh, be here. And, and, and a lot of, a lot of that, I, I really believe is is that purpose, that overall purpose. It took me a very long time to figure this out uh, mm-hmm. because I'm hard headed, but I also think my hard headedness was what kept me alive, right? Um, but in those moments, I, I began to leverage that, and then that desire for wanting more and say, "Okay, I, I have a fifth chance, a sixth chance at this thing. I don't want to waste it this time," you know. I, so I got to start looking. I have to start looking in inward, right? And then I started saying, okay, but I've done a lot of badass things along the way. And so if I've done those things, right, then that means th- this thought process isn't real. It's not true, right? It's not accurate. It was a, it was a moment in my life, right? And it, it definitely, uh, you know, helped define me and make me who I am, but it, it doesn't, 
it doesn't define who I'm going to be tomorrow or the next day or anything else. It's just a, you know, an accent in the overall picture. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's what I tried to leverage in those moments and what would help me get through all of that. Right. Um, when, when you face death so many times and, and sooner or later you, you just, you're like, okay, God, I got it. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm supposed to be here. Uh, let me yeah. stop trying to sabotage my own existence and, you know, <laughs> yeah. do something yeah. with it. So uh, I think uh, that was the key for me. And, and it's a good point about uh, sabotaging your own existence. Yeah, it's, it's almost like you just get in your own fucking way sometimes. And then when you oh. think about it and it hits you, you're like, oh, silly me. I'm the asshole in the group here. I'm the one who keeps yep. getting in the way. Uh, so if you think about what you know now and what you're going through, and the stuff that you went through as a child, if you could look back and have conversations with that kid, and maybe you've gone through and you've dealt with some childhood trauma, and maybe you've even sat down with your past self to talk through that stuff, but what sort of advice would you give to that kid that was going through that shit? That everything that I could have ever needed was already within me, right? Um, we, we look for a lot of extra stuff, and whether it be you know, the world that we live in or are introduced to on a daily basis, commercials, TV, rap songs. It's always fill your life, fill the voids with this. Uh, You're going through this, have this. Uh, You know, this is just all you deserve. No, everything that you've ever needed is within you. And you have, we all have a North Star, right? Something that's pulling us to, to have something great, right? And listen to that pull. Don't listen to everyone else. Listen to what's on the inside of you and go for it, right? You're not going to get any younger, so just do it like a Nike commercial and, <laughs> and stay committed to it and, and trust the process. Yeah, I think a lot of people have a hard time with being okay with that fear, um, where if you're facing fear, even as a sniper, you've, I would assume you've got fear going through you, like I'm about to take this person out or what have you. And then the other fears of the things that you've gone through where you kind of had that fear muscle stretched in a sense, like, all right, well, what else are you going to throw at me? There's certain people in this world that maybe they weren't spoon fed, but maybe they've had some tough things and then just broke and they're like, I can't get past it. So how do you, how would you help them actually switch from fixed to a growth mindset? You know, it, it, it so hesitation is the magnifier of all fear, right? Mm. It, it will make something small look ginormous in your mind's eye. So when I said just do it, that is the best advice I can give anybody. Stop. Look, if even if you failed in the past, right? The next time you get up and you're not starting from scratch anymore, you have feedback. Yeah. Every mistake, every miss is feedback right it's it's not the end of the world it's not you know it's not that you aren't good enough you just didn't know well now you know right you know that that doesn't work or that does work or or you need to do it just a little bit different to to make it work right but now you have that feedback so instead of quitting and turning the back with your tail between your legs Take that feedback, take that information and apply it to the next time. Just keep, look, small steps, right? And eventually you're going to look back and say, wow, look how far I've come. 
but you have to just start making those steps and and taking the feedback as it comes and applying it. Yeah. You remember when we were growing up, we didn't have social media. So you would just yes. hear things or see stuff on TV and you'd see celebrities or you'd read something in a magazine or what have you. But we as kids didn't really have all of that shit coming at us like people do now. I even find myself at times where I'll be thumbing through Instagram or Facebook and just feel anxiety coming up or like, oh shit, this person posted something. I should probably post 10 things. I'm like, what is wrong with you? Calm down. And people now kind of go through all that stuff. So even taking those little steps, I think sometimes we as people look at, well, other people are doing greater things, but they forget that you don't see a lot of the bullshit little steps and the little failures underneath of it before that post came out. So how do you manage kind of through that on the daily right now, knowing you still got those battles and those traumas behind you? Yeah, well, one, I, you know, the only person I'm competing with is me, right? So when I see someone else do X, Y, and Z, good for them. I clap for them. Mm-hmm. Hooray, right? But that's not my journey, right? I'm, yeah. I'm 40 years old, just starting to figure out that, you know, I'm better than what I thought I was, right? So. Yeah. um you know, I'm not the 30-year-old the that, that claims to have it all figured out, but you're right. Like, you know, behind everything, there's a lot of things that have to happen before it actually uh, comes to fruition, right? And we, we tend to forget that, right? Uh, that, you know, you look at, because uh, I, I, I'll stay with Kobe, Kobe Bryant, right? He makes this amazing last second shot in in the the finals but to him it's just another shot that he's taken a zillion times before i think that if you want success in this life it's all about preparation um you know and and when you prepare for it and you put the work in uh, good things are going to happen so don't worry about what somebody else is doing don't worry about what social media is saying you stay you stay focused on your purpose Stay going through the steps, right? And and you're going to find greatness just in your own time. Yeah. How do you suggest dealing with the triggers of things that come up? Because those triggers are emotional awareness factors for us to say, hey, there's this thing for you to look at or this thing for you to do. But some people will just shut off. They go, oh, fuck, trigger. And they just, they're done. But how do you, how would you suggest somebody deal with those? So I think in the beginning, it's, it's, a few things, right? I think meditation is, is a really good, um, you know, place to, to really start looking back on, on things that maybe you've done the day before, depending on when you do it. Um, journaling, I I know it sounds kind of fairy, but, uh, writing helped me so much, right? Like, you know, feeling one, we, I think that, that these triggers are, misunderstood right like you said they're they're there to help us right they're there for a reason right uh it's it's like your body giving you a warning signal right so you Mm -hmm. you, it's relevant you just we blow it out of proportion right so it's good to understand what these things are there for and what our system is trying to tell us right so being able to write those things down uh, you know, how did I act? How did I respond? How should I have responded? Uh, and then also putting in, you know, the, win- the, the things you've done right that day, uh, 
constantly filling your your memory bank with positivity so that way the next time these things happen you react with more of a positive manner than a, a negative one i think has really helped me uh, i still struggle i'm not going to sit here and lie um but that's that's what i do i meditate i journal and i try to fill my mind full of positivity right so that's what comes out when those those negative feelings start arising right and, and i also and i'll say this i also like to trace uh kind of like a root you know or or a wire i like to trace the origin of of why do i feel that way what what i, I talked about associations right there's probably something in your past that has you associating that feeling to whatever negative thing that you're thinking right uh whether it's you know when you were young as a kid or sometimes it's multiple things. Like for me, I have I I have anger things, right? And mm-hmm. and I man, sometimes my anger would would just be on level a zillion. And I had to really say, okay, why why is this happening, man? Like what is going on? And it wasn't just one thing; it was multiple things. So keep an open mind when you're tracing it back. Uh, don't be afraid to keep going down the rabbit hole a little bit to find out what's going on. Just don't stay there. Hmm. Good stuff, man. So yeah, taking that action, doing uh, journaling and meditating. I mean, you're preaching to the choir with that one. I do that daily. And I I fought that for the longest time. Like, I don't want to journal. My handwriting's atrocious, blah, blah, blah. And it's not as much about going back and rereading. It may be for some people, but it's about the act of actually getting it out and allowing the brain to start working through and getting into a better space. It also sounds like you've set yourself up for a positive default, where at default, I've got some positivity, where we, how you grew up, the default was, fuck everything, everyone should die. Yes. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. Man. Well, dude, I I am so glad that you were on the show today. I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you being open. Um, I appreciate you sharing what you've gone through and the fact that you're still here. And doing well, what you're doing today, man. Well, I appreciate you having me. It was a blast. Um, and, you know, uh, I don't mind if it, if it helps even one person. I'm, I'm a happy camper. So, Heck Yeah, I, I think about that, too. It doesn't matter if there's hundreds of billions of people listening to this. As long as there's one person that goes, ah, that thing can help me. Yeah. That's what this is all about. So on that note, why don't you tell us one piece of advice you'd give somebody that's on their path towards self-mastery? So know your why, okay? So once you find your purpose and, okay, that's the thing that's pulling me, I want to do that, why? Why do you want to do it? Uh, what I've found in my life is that if I don't have a defined why, I quit, right? Like Because eventually things get hard. You have to do the work, right? The work's the hard part. So why are you going to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, right? Why are you going to journal? Why are you going to follow those wires and, and go down the rabbit hole? Why? Um, what is the, the, the reason that's going to motivate you to do those things on a daily basis when no one's watching, when there's no gratification, when you don't see, uh, the big wins, right? What, what is going to, to, to drive you to do that, you know? And, and so I would really encourage you guys to find out your why. I love that. You know, we've all been told, you know, find your why or figure out the why. I think for the most part, some people just brush it off like it's just old hat. Like, yeah, I get it. I should know what my why is. 
and they kind of think a little bit about it. But I think back to what you'd said about tracing back, because if you start to look and go, well, why do I like this thing? Why is it sports that I like or music or why is it this? You can go back and back and back and back. I know you can't really see it on the shelf here because I actually changed out the books. But behind that mindset book is a book called QBQ, the question behind the question. And that's something that has always stood out to me. It's like, well, why do you like ice cream? Well, I like it because of this. Well, why because of that? It might go all the way back to, well, my grandfather took me to Dairy Queen when I was five and we got ice cream. And you're like, oh my God, that ties to this thing. So, man, I appreciate you being on and talking about all this stuff. Before I let you go, please tell us where people can connect with you. Yeah. So my website is mrtenacity.com. You can also email me at mrtenacity40 at gmail.com and chadosinga on Facebook. Um, if you message me on there, I got I have a Facebook group and I'll add you. Good stuff, Chad. Well, again, thank you so much for being on the show. Appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Another great conversation on today's episode of the Mindset and Self Mastery Show. So, wow, what a friggin' story. Now, be honest with me here. Be honest with yourself. While listening to everything Chad went through, how many times do you think, and that's when I'd snap? Yep, right there. It, that, that was that moment. That's when I would have lost my shit. I would have been off the train. That's it. Whew. Whether your childhood and upbringing looked similar to Chad's or the complete opposite, let's remember that tenacity looks different in different situations. So what can you take from the conversation today to be more tenacious in your daily life? What did you think of today's episode? I'd love to hear your thoughts on the topics we got into. And if you enjoyed the episode, please jump over to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and leave a five-star review. If this episode opened your eyes, made you think or smile at all, then I'm sure it'll do the same for your friends and family. If you really enjoyed the show, go ahead and share it with somebody specific. We covered a lot and went through some really tough, traumatic times with Chad that I'm sure really resonate with a lot of people. And check out the show notes for more information, contact info for Chad, and check out other episodes on themindsetandselfmasteryshow.com as well as our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search The Mindset and Self Mastery Show and ta-da, you'll see it all right there. Thanks again, Chad, for being real, for being honest, vulnerable with us, and as well as sharing some strategies that you're using and that you're sharing with others to get through tough, traumatic times. And I'd like to thank our sponsors, The Manly Club and The Powerhouse Men Brotherhood. Men, do you consider yourself to be a powerhouse man? The criteria for becoming one is simple. Live with virtue and do good work. You see, a powerhouse man builds his life. He doesn't settle for it. He attacks mediocrity at the root, and that's exactly what we do in the Powerhouse Men Brotherhood. Visit themanlyclub.com for details. And thank you to you, yes, you, for hanging out with us today. Your support means more than you know. Thank you. And with that, remember, your mindset matters. And so do you.